Hello, and welcome to Best Sips Worldwide. I'm your drinking companion, Susan Schwartz, an American travel writer living in London. Thanks to my mother's love of martinis, the first words I spoke were shaken, not stirred, and I've been obsessed by the history of cocktails ever since. Through the years, I've been lucky enough to sip some of the best made by the best. Hear that sound? It's time to cozy up to the bar and let me introduce you to the movers and shakers of the world's most famous watering holes. Today, we take you across the pond to New York's 21 Club. Bartender Mark Tuberty guides us through a mini history of cocktails in the Big Apple from one of the bars that started it all. He graciously sat down to talk me through from prohibition to modern day. Avery Fletcher, the director of sales and marketing for the 21 Club, joined the party too. There was this thing once upon a time that seemed like a good idea, I guess, called prohibition, um, where you could not purchase or sell alcohol in the United States. And here in New York City, so many uh, very creative entrepreneurs got together, and uh, or not together per se, but uh, you know, created these speakeasies and a way of kind of keep the alcohol flowing to the to the people of New York City. So two of the most creative people that did this were Jack Krenler and Charlie Burns. They were two cousins. And I think it started off as a way just to pay off some, some uh, student loans, school loans. So they decided to open up some speakeasies. They started, um, I think, down in the village. Um, they had a number of locations that they kind of went through for different reasons. Um, they had to move a couple times. But what definitely happened as they moved was they amassed this amazing clientele, a mixture of artists, politicians, celebrities throughout New York City. So they got this great following. Um, so by the time they moved up to where we are now, 21 West 52nd Street, they had a great, great following. Now, interesting story that I always try to tell people is that the location right before 21 Club was actually called the Punchin, and it was on West 49th Street. And when they were bought out of that location for the construction of Rockefeller Center, they decided to throw this great New Year's Eve party. Um, it was their last night at that location. So they had all of their, their regular clientele over. Story goes that they basically gave everybody some sort of, uh, you know, uh, way of kind of like knocking the place down, but also a bottle of champagne. So everybody had a great time, and they did kind of, you know, level the place in a certain sense. But it was someone's idea, a stroke of genius, to pick up the Iron Gates as a group from outside that location and carry them over to christen the new location. So the Iron Gates that you walked through to get into the restaurant today are actually from that location. That's amazing. That's it, amazing. It really is, uh-huh. really is. So I always try to tell people that when they first come in, because it's like you actually just walked through history to get into another piece of history. Mm-hmm. They dragged um, history. In they did. Them. They did. I'm, I'm sure it was probably a swaying motion, right, yes. you know, <laughs> down the street. Especially the alcohol that was brewed. Oh there. yeah. Who knows yeah. what that was? Absolutely. Like- well, that's it's good point that you bring up because I think one of the reasons why Jack and Charlie were so su- successful and why the Twenty One Club was so successful is that they put a high price and a high level of value on the quality of liquor that they were serving. So there were thousands and thousands of speakeasies throughout the city, but they didn't really care so much as long as they could just sling some sort of bathtub gin, you know, and make a couple bucks off of it, they were fine. Jack and Charlie said, we want to serve the best quality stuff. So through different means and family members that were able to kind of smuggle um, either from the south up from, from Florida or down from Canada, they were able to obtain some great quality alcohol. There's another story. Um, One of the regular customers of the 21 Club moved out of town. Um, This was still during Prohibition. And 
And I guess he couldn't find great quality liquor at the speakeasies to wherever he moved. So he sent a letter to uh, Jack and Charlie and said, you know, can you send me some of the good stuff? And so I think they did. But what happened was because of the, the postal, you know, kind of transmission of him saying, can you send me the liquor? They actually got some sort of like, <laughs> hey, wait a second. You guys aren't supposed to be sending liquor. But that's it speaks to the point that they really sold great, great quality liquor. I bet a lot of their customers were policemen, too. Oh, well, <laughs> even the mayor of New York, Jimmy Walker at the time, was a regular customer here. Uh -huh. So we have the speakeasy or the Prohibition Air wine cellar downstairs. Um, so this is... The birth of that is really interesting. Um, there was a regular customer by the name of Walter Winchell. He of was uh, yep, a gossip Winchell. columnist for the Daily uh -huh. Mirror. Walter Winchell. There was a rule at 21. All right, why don't you say who you are? Okay. Oh, if sure, you don't mind being on no, this no, I'll introduce all, both of you. Okay. No, I am um, Avery Fletcher. I'm the director of sales and marketing here at 21. Okay. So, um, as Mark was saying, Jack and Charlie amassed this incredible following, this incredible clientele. So the who's who of really the world were dining at 21, eating and drinking and, and having a fantastic time. And um, they had actually a rule that the media was welcome to 21, but they could not gossip. So way back in the beginning, what happened here had to stay here because of the reputation of the guests even more so than the fact that we were breaking laws. Right. <laughs> so, um, Walter Winchell, a very famous gossip columnist, decided that he wanted to share. He couldn't resist um, telling some of the tales of what was happening behind the doors of 21. And Jack and Charlie put their foot down, and they actually banned so, him for life. So they, he, but I can't believe Walter Winchell actually told them that he was going to write about them. No, I'm. I'm. Okay. I th I'm pretty sure he mean? printed. Oh, he printed. printed. He, he right. went a little so page six, as seen at twenty one. Um, so he was banned. He was. Ba um, he was blacklisted. Yeah, he was put on the do not enter for twenty one. I bet he just couldn't wait till that uh, amendment was repealed so he could come back. Oh, for, no, I think he was never oh, allowed life. in wow. again. Yeah. So it, it really had nothing to do with the alcohol as it did uh -huh. the, the level of clientele because right. even after prohibition was lifted, the clientele to this day are, are still some of the world's finest. Uh -huh. um, and to seek retribution, he did publish on the front page of his newspaper that 21 had never been raided by the feds. Boy, oh. And so then they came in. They and then in. they came in. <laughs> yes. came in. I mean, how long did that, do you know how long that set them back before they could open again? Oh, not very. Jack and Charlie were still here. We're still here. Jack and Charlie were very industrious. So uh, they were, um, they were raided and a good amount of their alcohol was confiscated, but they were very savvy and they had, uh, speakeasy owners during the day had two options. You could align yourself with the police or you could align yourself with the mafia, pretty much. And Jack and Charlie had chosen to align themselves with the police department. And actually, one uh -huh. of the reasons why they ha chose this location as opposed to another piece of property that was available on the other side of Fifth Avenue was that it was the same police force, the same neighborhood force as their West 49th Street location. So basically, they didn't have to grease any set of cops. Um, and as Mark mentioned, uh, the mayor of New York City, Jimmy Walker, was a very good friend. So when they were raided, um, and of course Prohibition was a federal law and a state law, uh, they kind of called, made a few phone calls, and all of a sudden there was something a little, a little wonky with their search warrant. 
So they pretty much got away with a slap on the wrist. Uh But this raid, and um, I'm actually thankful to Walter Winchell for this, (laughs) um, triggered this series of events that actually set us up for almost what we are today. Mm -hmm. And that is the creation, a lot of the mechanisms that we used to hide alcohol for the rest of Prohibition, which we had no idea was going to be so short, (laughs) because we opened 21 on New Year's Eve 1929. Uh, Right. Um, And as Mark mentioned, they did start in the early 20s, they started in 1922, but it was seven years before Mm -hmm. they got here. and Prohibition ended on December 5th, 1933. Right. So we were really only breaking the law for about three years. Um, <laughs> but in response... And what a silly law that was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we would, we'd be lost without it. Oh, yeah. That's actually Here at 21, we celebrate the beginning of Prohibition and not the end of Prohibition. Because if it wasn't for Prohibition, 21 wouldn't exist. I know. And this whole idea of speakeasies now is so popular. Yes. They're so popular. Yeah, people especially. are trying to emulate that. And, yes, that's and what's, what, what's that's great what we is that this is about. real. Yeah. I mean, before we got on air, we were ta- mm-hmm. having a little chat about um, the, the cocktail culture yeah, now. Absolutely. And how in London, every everyone is opening a cocktail bar, which is really, really exciting for us drinkers yeah. because the creativity, the level of creativity that is going into the drinks you know, is 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 outstanding. Yeah. I mean, that different ingredients. It's just it's yeah. incredible. And I was just wondering how how it is in New York with that. Is that happening? You know, and, and actually, I just interviewed someone, and their two bars that they have are inside a restaurant. In fact, I couldn't even find it when I was. I was like, I have the oh, address, yeah. but I didn't know yeah. that it was inside the restaurant downstairs. Yeah. You know, kind of like a speakeasy. Yeah. Um, so are- tell me about the cocktail culture here and kind of how it affects. Someplace like the 21 Club, you know. Sure, the cocktail culture in New York City, and I real, I guess throughout the states, um, particularly on the two coasts, you know, it's really, really booming. There's been uh, an appreciation for cocktails and for mixology, especially over the past 10 years that you really haven't seen for a long time. Um, an appreciation somewhat akin to kind of like the farm-to-table movement, you know, people appreciating food in a different way. People are starting to appreciate cocktails that way. And I think a big part of it from a bartender standpoint is we have this ownership over the cocktails that, that we're producing now, that we're coming up with. Mm-hmm. Um, the ingredients, you know, we, like Avery mentioned, you know, if I have a night off, I'm going home and I'm experimenting with a new type of syrup or a shrub or switchel or any number of these ingredients that aren't necessarily new, but we're appreciating them again. So some of these things, for instance, a shrub. A vinegar-based, you know, syrup is, you know, something that they used to drink during colonial times. And I remember coming in, telling Avery, hey, you know, they used to use this as a way of preserving fruit, and then they would combine it with some sort of water, and then that was their version of a soft drink. But of course, as bartenders, we take any one of those ingredients, say, that's good, add alcohol, and it'll be better. <laughs> so there should be said about everything. Yes, <laughs> t-shirts, this plus alcohol. Um, but, you know, it's exciting, and, and what's nice is that when people come to the bar, they're, they're looking at There's I think there's always a respect for bartenders as, you know, it, the job of many roles, you know, therapist, um, friend, uh, teacher, wh- whatever you want to say, but um, now people are coming in, and they're fascinated. They're watching everything you're doing. Um, it's not just waiting for the drink anymore. It's like, well, what, what's in that bottle, and, and why, why do you do it like that? And when I make it at home, should I be doing this? People are really interested. You know, there there is this movement going on, and I, I never want to say it's a it's a trend because I think it really is kind of people waking up and saying, you know what, 
there's an art behind this, just like there's an art behind food. And if just just because I'm you know having a cocktail, it doesn't mean I have to slug back a, a whiskey and that oh I feel horrible the next morning. It, there's an art to it, you know. Mm-hmm. Make and it, how do make you feel that good. you know your I guess your core clientele are probably the same. Look, I have a friend who got married here. It's a friend of my parents. I don't know if you know the Wassermans. They come. They've got married here. They this is their place. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a kind of a place that is a place for someone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, there must be tons of regulars do you feel that they w- want to try these new things or are they really set in there i want it happens it happens you know uh. i mean a lot of it well i there are two two sides of it because part of this whole movement is returning to classics so there's there's the side right. of us being creative and trying to do twists on the classics but you know a lot of these drinks that have come back into the the forefront um in the media over the past couple of years are, are classic drinks the last word cocktail created in detroit that's you know, it's a, it was created, I don't quote me on this, maybe the 30s or the 40s, but only in the past couple years, people said, you know what, that's a pretty pretty good drink. That has gin, lime juice, uh, maraschino liqueur, and chartreuse. Um, so that's that's an example of kind of a classic cocktail coming back. Um, you know, we do so many martinis, Manhattan's old fashions here, but a drink like the South Side, which is kind of a, a 21 club staple, um, we have a lot of regular customers that will will come back to that one as well. But do you ever tweak those to see if they know? Because I just had yeah. an old fashioned. I'm like, why don't I drink this more? This is like the best drink. It is so we, delicious. We do the it's very an incredible. One. <laughs> the very first drink that I, wish I ever were at 9:30 in the morning. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the very first drink I ever worked on Not with the lovely. team here. Oh, um, and this was three years ago. Uh, so the first time I really came involved with the the cocktail program here, I had this idea of. I don't know if maybe I just seen Inception or what happened, but I said, well, the old fashioned's great, and there's the sugar element that's right. inside the old fashioned. What if we substituted that with a gas streak that was really all of the flavors of the old fashioned? So it's kind of an old fashioned inside of an old fashioned. Um, so we did. Wait, uh, wait, I don't even know what that is. What is? So a gas streak is, is another. Gastrique? It's another vinegar based syrup, but the difference okay. between that and a shrub is that the in the gas streak you really have to caramelize the sugar. Um, before you oh deglaze so it with vinegar, yeah. Uh-huh. But then, so what we did is basically, you know, created this gastric, infused it with maraschino cherries, oranges, bitters, everything that would go into an old fashioned. We created this really interesting kind of agro dolce sort of syrup and replaced the sugar in the old fashioned with that gastric. Uh-huh. So I think we got a little bit of attention for that. And also, it was one of those things where customers like, what is that? So we'd be very willing to let them try it. And, you uh-huh. know, I think that definitely sparked some interest, you know. Um, doing a twist on a, on a on a classic. So, well, what do you feel is are your classics? Since we're talking about classics yeah. at the Twenty One Club, was there a classic cocktail that you know the gents created and that today still is? You know, the people come here for that. Yeah, the, the, like a series of them. It doesn't have to be just one. I don't mean to put yeah. you on the spot. Like, no, you know, not at all. If you if you look on our cocktail menu, we actually have so a, a kind of a new contemporary sort of you know drink section but then there's the classics so it's devoted to those classic drinks that that we get that you know call for all the time martinis and manhattans you can't can't get away from that at all um this was you know one of the the three martini lunch places i mean there from time to time i'll be working at the back bar and an older you know gentleman will walk in and it's almost like he's lost in another world it's like titanic you know where they they recreate everything and he's just looking around and he says, I remember when this used to be packed at, like, and we still do fantastic business. Uh-huh. He said, packed at 
one o'clock in the afternoon and it was the same guys every day you know the same people from the the marketing places and everybody was having three martinis so this was one of those locations where we really kind of you know martinis manhattan's definitely oh, all the time gin or is it is it a, a gin or vodka these no. days, these days, there's a pretty good split between the demand for gin and huh. vodka and a martini, but also in a Manhattan and Old Fashions as well, which is another you know drink that we do so many of here, um, a choice between bourbon and rye. And rye over the past five years has been coming back in a crazy way. And rye was the uh, you know the original ingredient in those drinks, uh, like a Manhattan and Old Fashioned. And oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, that's okay. History. Yeah. <laughs> and then gin, of course, was the original ingredient in a martini. So right, there is you know yeah, yes. uh-huh. uh, occasionally, and our customers take pride in. Their their cocktail knowledge as well. So if you know if you say to some one person they say um, you know I'll ha- have a Gibson, which is typically a dry gin martini with the pearl onions, and if you were to say to them uh, you know do you prefer gin or vodka, they'll say I would have asked for a vodka Gibson. Oh boy! I want a gin. So, <laughs> <laughs> I know, so people people know everyone, yeah. <laughs> everyone knows everything. But um, in regards to some of the newer creations and uh, our clientele kind of reaching out to that. There's, you know, one regular customer maybe two or three weeks ago um, kind of typically gets the same thing every day. And uh, there was one one cocktail on the menu now. He said, let me try it and went ahead and I think it was the pumpkin spice, which is kind of a cocktail that we did this, this past fall using a homemade pumpkin spice syrup, uh, Widow Jane bourbon and some Fee Brothers bitters. And I was really surprised. He was asking about it. I wasn't sure if he was going to try it, but he tried it. He liked it. I'm sure he went back to his drink afterwards, but he ventured out, you know, <laughs> baby steps, baby like, steps. Absolutely. Now, I'd love to know a little bit more about you personally sure. and how you got to the 21 Club because this is kind yeah. of a, definitely a, a, it's the place an to ultimate be. place to yeah. be. And, and that's, that's great to hear, too, when customers come in and they say, man, you got a great gig. And I tell them I know. I know. Um, but the way that I got here is kind of funny. Uh, my brother went to bartending school, and he never got a job off of it. But he did get that manual, you know, with all the different drinks, and he passed the test, you know. Knew his drinks, but he never got the job. The job placement didn't pan out like they, they promised it would. Um, but what ended up happening was I was a buster at another restaurant here in the city, and I just kind of slid into the bar back role. As things happen around the service industry, people will call out or not show up. And that's usually how you make some sort of transition. So. So I got behind the bar and I said, "This is this is pretty cool. You know, I really really like the fact that it's almost like a it's it, your own little world back there. You know, the restaurant can be a very big thing with a lot of different integral parts that have to come together. But at the bar, you know, if you're there by yourself or with another coworker, you know where the pieces are. You know where to reach. You know, you know, it, you know the organization of it. I said, "This is really cool. I want to I want to keep going with this." So what I did was I turned all of those drinks that were in my brother's bartending manual from the you know the school that uh-huh. never got never got him the job, and I turned them into index cards. I color coded them: milk-based drinks, uh, sours, uh, you know, all liquor drinks. Made sure they were all organized. And every single day before I went to work as a barback, I studied the entire list and I made sure I knew all the recipes. You know, not really being held accountable for that right away, but I was able to look around to the other bartenders and say, "He's making a martini. Okay, he's stirring that." Now that's a margarita, okay, triple sec, you know. And I was able to observe, but I also observed the different styles between bartenders. Um, so it really allowed me to kind of get this knowledge and a, and a good perspective. Also of the, the makings of a bar, being a bar back, I was able to see the organization and the, the pieces behind the bar. And it started to just become this cool kind of science, but also art in my head. So eventually, again, as you know, the service industry goes, a bartender called out, and I got my shot to, to fill in. So I ended, ended up becoming the head bartender at that place, 
and uh, it was very seasonal. So you know, it was one of those things where if it was raining, you know, the entire crowd would run inside somewhere. Um, so I said to myself when I wanted to leave that place, I want to go to a restaurant with a roof. <laughs> That's it. I just want to go to a restaurant with a roof. Little did I know that I would end up at a restaurant that has the most historic ceiling in the city, if not the country. So found out about the 21 Club, came in, did my interviews, and I uh, was just so, so happy to get this job. And as you were speaking about before, the regular clientele, this is a family, absolutely a family here. And when you come down to the bar and you see out of 20 people, 15 faces that you recognize, that's a pretty cool thing. And that's one of the unique things about 21. It's a crack up because we're called the 21 Club. And if I could take my time machine, if I could go one place, I would go back to Jack and Charlie and be like, why do you add the word <laughs> club? But um, there, we've never been a private club, right. ever. But there's always been a sense of exclusivity. And that's kind of where that club atmosphere comes from. But it also comes from um, a lot of our guests, they feel like they're at home here. This is this is their second space. This is home away from home. And they feel a sense of ownership. And, you know, they, they know the service team by name. They And the service team know them. And they know, you know, they come up and Mark says, okay, Mr. So-and-so, you, yeah. do you want this drink today? You want to try something else? And um, there really is that, that sense of belonging. And what's interesting about the kind of this this shift in cocktail culture is that for 21 um, we're, we're always working this balance and I think it's throughout the entire property where we're staying authentic to our history to who we were to the past um, but also remaining contemporary but we can't go too far afield contemporary because that would pull away from the history that would pull away from the authenticity and it would alienate yeah, a lot of our clients so yeah. you you won't see dry ice or um, ice cubes with the letters of your name in it <laughs> but you or or mark really wants to do these magical little spheres of <laughs> something that are very cool but they're not going to be in our drinks yeah. um but what we you will see is um an iron gate old-fashioned that has a guest streak in it or every season we do our seasonal cocktails have simple syrups that the bartenders themselves are responsible for creating and making and boiling in the back and um, those those subtle infusions, those homemade ingredients, but with classic drinks. So over the summer maybe we'll do a Ricky that's something unique, mm -hmm. has a unique twist to it, but is classic. Something that's familiar, but has some that kind of contemporary component, which as it happens, is not so contemporary. Yeah. <laughs> right, of course. Um, yeah. But, but it's, it's always bridging that gap, and we do it with food as well as with cocktail, mm -hmm. as well as just service and expectations mm -hmm. of the property. You know, I always say, you know, Best Bits is a luxury travel blog, but luxury doesn't have to be the, the having a butler at your hotel yeah. room, because I certainly can unpack and pack my own clothes. Yeah. I always say uh, the butler would be great if he knows how to make martinis. That, that, <laughs> I will have that butler, but yes. it's, yeah. it's exactly what you said. It's the, the service aspect of luxury, and I think that can be anywhere, really, but it's the, the people and the places that take the time to get to know you as a customer, mm -hmm. and so that when you come in, you feel like you are home, even though you know you're not home, yeah. all right? It's, it's, 
it's a heightened home, a heightened mm-hmm. experience yeah. of home. Yeah. And it can be, I stayed at a three-star hotel in Grenada and everything. That it was family-owned, and it was so adorable, and anything that you wanted. You yeah. know, it was really, you felt that you were there. Mm-hmm. And here you feel like you're in New York. Yeah. You want to be here. Oh, it's yeah. part of a New York experience, part of a luxury experience. And it's, again, luxury in terms of, you know, anyone can come in and have a drink. As you say, it's not mm-hmm. enough. But you feel like you are someone's guest. Yeah. And I oh, think yeah. that is yeah. so important. And I think a lot of places don't get that right. What people appreciate about the 21 Club, too, when it comes to drinks, is knowing that they can get the classics the way they were meant to be made. And I, I learned, and I've only recently, in the past year or two, become a Manhattan drinker. And you'd be shocked, despite this amazing cocktail culture that's going on in the city, you can go to a lot of places and not get a well-made Manhattan. So sometimes, I think what our regular customers, but also just, just new customers are looking for, is you know they, they know they like a specific drink, but they just they want it made with care. They want it made you know, the right way, whether it's a Manhattan being stirred and not shaken, or you know, just a great Tom Collins, whatever it is. You know, here we, we definitely, you know, place an emphasis on trying to be creative and, and reach out to some of the new, but we want to respect the old too and say, you know what, we're going to make the classics the way they're supposed to be made and you can count on us to do that. So if you come here and you order a martini, even if it's just one drop of vermouth, we're, we're going to make sure that it's nice and chilled, you know, stirred. And that's why you still exist, I think, because, you know, gosh, in the early 90s when I was drinking Cosmos, there was definitely places where you would have it and it would be delicious. Yeah. And then you'd have it and you'd think, how can this even be the same drink? Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. And so you'd go back to the places where they made it well. Thus, they will come back to the 21 Club. Listen, I really want to thank you for so much time and this has been great and I can't wait to have a drink. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Always the best part. (laughs) Thank you so much. So now you know where it all started. Thanks to Mark and Avery for sitting down with me today. To hear more, stop by 21 West 52nd Street and have one of their famous Bloody Marys. Savoring for a Sazerac? Then be sure to check out our next podcast when we grill Nola London's Ian McIntyre about why he and his partner set up a New Orleans bar in the heart of Shoreditch. Until next time, bottoms up. For more information and links to everything you've heard about, plus a bit more, please visit bestbitsworldwide.com. Thanks for listening to Best Sips Worldwide, a spin-off of Best Bits Worldwide. Always remember the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation, and never drink and drive. Okay, I said that last part. Theme music is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. You'll find me at the bar. <laughs> <laughs>